This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello, I'm Anita Arnand and thank you for downloading BBC Radio 4's Any Answers, the sister programme to Any Questions. Good afternoon, welcome to Any Answers. So, tell me this, was Lord Peter Hayne right to use his parliamentary privilege this week? You will know the name of Philip Green was subject to an interim injunction by now. Are you comfortable with a politician overriding the judgment of the courts? Maybe you think the law is an ass. Either way, give us a call. 03700 100 444 is the number to call. We can talk about non-disclosure agreements too. What is your experience of them? Should we have them at all? Uh, Pipe bombs in America. Noose and knife comments over here. What exactly is going on with public discourse these days? And should there be sanctions for uncivilised language? I'd also like to know from you, this is hotly debated uh, with David, uh, with Jonathan on the programme earlier, um, who's worse? The left or the right? We can talk about Brexit and second votes and a north-south divide. Do you feel uncared for because of where you live in this country? And is the discrepancy ripping this country apart? 03700 Uh Let's go to our first caller, though, because a lot of you wanting to talk about non-disclosure agreements this afternoon. Margaret Watson is calling from Glasgow. Good afternoon, Margaret. Good afternoon. And, and you have experience of what this is like. Um, talk me through it. I was asked to accompany somebody that I know who had been asked to go for some, shall we say, so-called independent legal advice and at that time to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And we both went to meet this solicitor and the solicitor asked, "Um, is there anything about this agreement that you would like to inquire about or is there anything about this contract that you're not happy about? So having read it, um, I said, with the agreement of the person um, who was uh, being asked to sign the non-disclosure agreement, well, this seems to me like an oppressive agreement between two parties of unequal bargaining power. Mm. Because in the GMB put it very well, in a situation, and this was indeed a very similar situation to which your GMB um, spokesman was talking to uh, Mr Dimbleby, um, an employer where there is no recognition of the trade unions and where an employee wishes to remain in employment and is given the Hobson's choice of either the employer moving to dismissal or a non-disclosure agreement um, with financial compensation and the um, explanation of redundancy. Can, can, can I just, just rewind a tiny bit? Because I just want to make sure I understand exactly what kind sure. of NDA this is. Because there, there seem to be two different sorts. There seems to be the kind of uh, non-disclosure agreement that you sign on signing on with a company. That, you know, if there's something that happens in this company, I'm already signing this, so I can't talk about anything that goes on in this company. And then yeah, there well, are specifics. Many of are completely valid, of course, because obviously, for example, if you were working for MI5, you would not be talking about what went on within the company oh, or, or, you know, were commercial secrets. Or, or indeed, yeah, intellectual yes. property or, or so on. Absolutely. Mm. Or, or, or you would not talk if you were working in the public services about confidential matters with your clients. But, but this one, yeah. it, oh, and the one you're talking about and others, um, are, are to do with certain specific incidents that may have happened, whether the company just wants this kept in-house, right? And is that the yeah. kind you're talking about? Without naming the company or the person yeah. or anything dodgy like that, I mean, sort of give me a ballpark of the nature of, of, of the, the, the situation where your friend is being called in to sign this thing. 
I'll be very careful not to mention anything in any way dodgy, which is why I said it was very similar to your GMB spokesperson. It was a situation, an employment situation, where a member of staff uh, was subject to harassment. I'll say no more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And where the employer wished to move either to dismissal, Mm -hmm. you wanted to sack the, the person, or the employer was willing to give some financial compensation and to call this a redundancy mm-hmm. if the employee signed a non-disclosure agreement, i.e. the employee would not go out and say, Anything my about employer it. gave me money to keep my mouth shut. I, I'm, I'm very grateful that you're, you're being so clear and also circumspect. Um, so when you put this to the, the independent, and you said so-called independent legal advisor, yes. when you said, look, this is an unequal equation here, I don't like it, um, what came back? When I said this seems to me to be an oppressive agreement, an oppressive contract between two parties of unequal bargaining power, the solicitor said to me, you can't say that. Why? He said, you can't say that because if you say that, you can't sign this agreement. And if you don't sign this agreement, the employer will move to dismissal. So, I mean, this is a specific case, and, and it sounds like a complicated case. And, and well, it's it sounds... actually reasonably straightforward, Anita. That, that, no. that was, it was, yeah. Well, okay, um, but, but so what in now, having gone through that, um, tell me, what is, the, what is the place that NDAs have in the world, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, again, I agree entirely with the um, with the GMB spokesperson. Yeah, you're talking about Tim, Tim Roche. Um, sorry, yeah. I keep saying that. That's all right. That's I think okay. the NDAs have absolutely no place um, in a context where you have a powerful um, party, mm-hmm. uh, be that an employer or a very wealthy individual of any sort, who can afford to employ a very, very expensive and persuasive law firm, whereas... Um, legal advice which is tantamount to no advice at all. I mean, the legal profession, a few lawyers, I I, I hasten to add, definitely have an ethical case to answer here to get what appear to be 50 pieces of silver simply to sit down and say to somebody, you know, sign that. Um, I think NDA and non-disclosure agreements are being um, used um, to put it in uh, Mr. Dimbleby's words, they're being outrageously uh, misused. Okay. All right, Margaret. Um, th- Mar- across the yeah, board. Yeah, Margaret, thank you very much for your call. 03700 uh, There are a number of tweets and texts coming through. Uh, this from someone who calls themselves Lao Tzu. Uh, many have signed the Official Secrets Act when working in the public sector, but if some policy or action is unfair, this must be disclosed. Non-disclosure agreements are patently bizarre in the internet age. Uh, another one here from Stephanie. There's a place for confidentiality clauses, but they should not be weaponized to cover up bad or criminal behaviour. Uh, Steve says, I suppose the crux of the issue of NDAs is whether appalling behaviour by senior management can be considered commercially sensitive information. Uh, let's take another call. Mike Kane is calling us from Stockport. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. What did you want to tell us? Um, well, I think that um, follow, follow, um, follow on the law in that the law is the law and the judges uphold the law, and they shouldn't be questioned. I do think it's wrong that somebody that's really wealthy can, in, can take out an injunction to prevent reporting of it. So if someone gets to court where you've got the, the Crown versus A, then I think you should be, the Crown versus A should be reportable, but the judge doesn't say what it can be about. 
I think the the um, the fact that people have got NDAs uh, is really is relevant only if the NDA uh, com- concerns com- uh, commercial confidentiality. So they've gone from company A to company B, say, and mm-hmm. taken their secrets or customers and customers with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it should be if you've been a naughty boy. I don't think there should be an NDA for that. In the same way as that uh, woman that's fighting uh, Trump in America, uh, took some money and then said she's been a naughty boy. You're talking about Stormy Daniels. Yeah, Stormy Daniels, thank Mm -hmm, you. mm -hmm. Um, And and, and there are some other things like that. Uh, You know, we pay lawyers to find loopholes in the law, and there are plenty. Uh, There was one shown recently where uh, a prominent person was admitted um, speeding at more than twice the speed limit, but the letter arrived a day late. And because the letter arrived a day late, the lawyer was able mm. to say this, this can't be prosecuted. Yeah, I mean, you said, you said categorically the law is the law. What do you feel about um, those who, who take parliamentary privilege and uh, say, all right, the law says I can't talk about this, but I will, and well, I will do it in Parliament? Yeah, I think you've hit on the point there. I, I think the law's the law, but the law's made by Parliament. The law's full of loopholes. So if you think parliamentarians sees a loophole, they, they can cry wolf. And I think that... Effectively, um, what uh, uh, Hayne did was right. It was was morally right, but I also think it was a case of saying, well, let's take a look at what we're doing here. Are we um, uh, preventing the the court reporting of something legitimately? And Mm -hmm. if a court, you know, if somebody gets to court A and B, then that should be okay. You shouldn't be allowed to um, report names if they're only suspected of of being Mm -hmm. arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once it gets to court, there should be a, a publicity. And the only reason that there should be any publicity is if it's state secrets and okay. security services. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Uh, a few more of these on Twitter. Uh, Maximilian says, it's a shame that we live in a world where the level of protection from the law when you've done wrong depends on the depth of your pocket. Uh, another one here. It may be the law, but Parliament makes the law. That's from Peter Nichols. Um, another one here. I signed an NDA. I'd done nothing wrong. Total accident of fortune. I was in a situation. Uh, Employer publicly funded, uh, incidentally, bullied and harassed me for two years and then tried to make me resign. Only with the support of my solicitor did I survive it all. Um, There is more to that, but I can't see it on my screen. 03700 100 444. David Lamming is calling us from Boxford in Suffolk. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon, Anita. Hi, what did you want to say? Uh, I really wanted to comment on the conduct of Peter Hayne and to express my agreement with Dominic Grieve yesterday Mm. that what he did in naming Philip uh, Green in in the House of Lords was a flagrant breach of parliamentary privilege. Would would you mind, for those who haven't heard the uh, Dominic Grieve statement, I'll just read it very briefly, um, what you're talking about. He said... um, he said, he was speaking to Watto yesterday, he said, we cannot operate a democratic free society when peers or MPs decide to take the law into their own hands. Uh, it is clearly uh, arrogant. It's putting himself, he means Peter Hayne, and his own views above the law. Yeah, just in case those hadn't, people hadn't heard that. So, David, you agree with that. Tell me why. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, as has been said in one or two of the court cases, confidentiality once breached is lost forever. So the effect of what Peter Hayne did was to make the trial, the speedy trial, which the Court of Appeal ordered of the case, which I understand is now to be fixed for January, almost pointless. And that, I think, gives rise to the question, well, what should Philip Green, who has a right to have his case heard, and I've no particular truck for him as a person or indeed for his business practices, but he has a right to have his case heard 
by the court mm. and to be adjudicated upon. The court will then decide whether the NDA in question should be upheld or not. You, you sound like a man who has a legal background, am I right? Uh, you are right, yes. Yes, yes, I can, I can just tell. I can tell from the tone of your voice. Um, t- <laughs> tell me this then. I, I mean, is it, is it always wrong for uh, a politician to put themselves above the judgment of the court? I think I wouldn't say always. Because I'm just thinking about one, one, of the, one of the texts that we got uh, was very interesting. It said, you know, it, it is really funny that justice is, is and I'm uh, paraphrasing because it's gone off my screen now, but, but justice is um, uh, almost measurable by the depth of someone's po- pockets. The deeper they are, the more justice leans towards you. Well, I think, certainly think one of the criticisms of the justice system at the moment, and this is an entirely separate issue, of course, is the way in which legal aid has been cut back and is not available for people to either bring or defend certain categories of case. But coming back to the point of this particular case, I think what needs to be borne in mind, and I read the judgment of the Court of Appeal, which is available online if anybody wants to look for it, and they say in terms that there is no evidence that any of the settlement agreements in this case were procured by bullying, harassment or undue pressure by the claimants. Each employee received independent legal advice before entering into the settlement and each settlement agreement contained provisions authorising authorizing disclosure mm-hmm. to regulatory and statutory bodies. So if there have been criminal offences alleged, they could be reported to the police without the NDA being breached. Mm-hmm. What, what Peter Hayne has done and I wonder whether he's actually read the judgment, is to usurp the function of the court. And one suggestion I might make to uh, uh, Sir Philip Green uh, and to discuss with his lawyers is whether he shouldn't invite the court to add Peter Hayne as a defendant to the litigation with a view to possibly applying to the court to order him to pay the wasted costs. Because... Peter, uh, Philip, Philip Green, of course, won mm-hmm. his case in the Court of Appeal, has got the interim injunction, which is intended just to hold the fort until the trial in January. Well, it's not a trial in January, it's a hearing in January. or, 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 or for, It's not actually a trial. But I, but I, but I hear what well, you're it saying. Is, it is yeah. a trial. Mm-hmm. It is a trial of whether... Because what happened in this case was the, the judge at first instance refused the interim injunction. Yeah. Sir Philip appealed successfully to the Court of Appeal, who gave... Yeah judgment this week and have ordered a speedy trial. Okay. It will be a speedy trial of whether yeah. Sir Philip and his companies are entitled to the injunction permanently. Right. So, so David, I mean, the interesting point that you raise, and that's perhaps one that will be raised behind the scenes, is you're saying that Peter Hayne might even be made liable for some of the costs. I've not heard that anywhere before. Thank, thank you very much indeed for your call, though. Um, just uh, on, on this, there are some people, though, who are very supportive of what Peter Hayne has said. Uh, Caroline Davis says, yes, he was right. Parliamentary privilege is to be used sparingly, that's true, but this was an appropriate exercise of that power. Another one here, Brendan from Weymouth writes, uh, Parliament is the voice of the people, it is supreme. Parliament alone makes them changes law. The courts are only there to interpret and apply the law. Lord Peter Hayne was totally in line when he used that privilege. I would only add that the Lords and MPs must be circumspect to avoid bringing this into disrepute. Um... And it goes on. Uh, Let's take another call on this. And then we are going to talk about um, the tone and tenor of parliamentary debate, political debate, political discourse, um, both here and on the other side of the pond. It's all been heating up rather a lot lately. Your thoughts very welcome. 0300 100 444. Adrian Jones is calling us from Liverpool. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi. What did you want to say? Well, I think that that last message um, put very well something of what I wanted to say, that... um, 
Lord Hayne wasn't acting above the law. He was acting entirely within his legal rights. And I think we're in danger of conflating two issues here, this particular case and the whole thing of parliamentary privilege, which I think is a very useful thing, and I don't think we ought to undermine it. And I also agree with the caller saying that um, that he's right to um, go beyond the um, courts and, and so that. But I, I do think this is, you know, the parliamentary privilege um, should... Is, defends um, politicians from saying things and having to defend them in any court. There's no court shall interfere with it. Now, I think this is being held up into the court of public opinion, and a lot of it is very uninformed. On the case, this particular case of Green, we can't decide whether uh, Lord Hayne acted rightly or wrongly until we know the details of the NDA mm-hmm. and the uh, details of the allegations and whether they are... Um, supported or not by the evidence. Now, one of your callers mentioned Dominic Grieve yesterday. Now, I heard that interview, and he said um, Philip Green has repudiated all the allegations. Well, uh, Dominic Grieve is used to legal language, and he must have known he was, he was using a, a falsehood there, because Philip Green hasn't repudiated any allegations. He hasn't had the chance to. He has simply denied them. He said he has said that he has so not Dominic been Green, responsible for any unlawful activity, is what sorry? he has said. Well, what he has said is he's yeah, not responsible that's, that's for any unlawful activity. That's just denial. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and note the word unlawful. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of... You know, there's plenty of um, yeah. lawful behaviour that's yeah. reprehensible. So, so, yeah, so, 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 I mean, what you're saying is we, we, we can't really tell because we don't know yet... Um, and well, thank you for making that point. I'm going to move on because we've got quite a few callers. Uh, Andrew Taylor is on the line from Tunbridge Wells. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi. So our last caller saying, you know, we we can't even make this judgment yet because we just don't know enough. Yeah. I, I, whether whether or not there is a case against Philip Green or not, I I, I don't know. Well, what I find appalling is that a third-rate politician who's never achieved anything in his life can abuse parliamentary privilege um, for, for his own uh, righteous indignation um, okay, well, I mean, to, bring, to bring this into the, into the public domain. If he was exposing a thalidomide scandal or something like that, then I would say, yes, he should absolutely do so, and all power to his elbow. This is, in the greater scheme of things, a pretty minor thing, mm. And I think it is appalling that he abuses parliamentary privilege in order to do it for his own self. Right. Can, can we, for one second, just move away from the ad hominems and just talk about the principle? Because that, right. that to me, is interesting. And he's not here to say what he thinks of you. And, you know, um, let's, let's just stick to the actual argument. Um, so w- what, in, in your view, parliamentary privilege should be used in what kind of cases and where do you draw the line? where you say, actually, you know what, politicians, this does not pass the test. If, if something, say a thalidomide-type thing, was being suppressed... So um, health, health, health concerns. Health, health what or, else? Um, I, I don't know, um, extraordinary rendition or the, these major issues. Well, well, what about, where, I mean, what where, about... What the, about pre- cu- the, press, yeah. the press are being restricted from reporting these major issues, uh-huh. then certainly a parliamentarian should stand up and expose them. And again, and moving away from this case, because as other callers have pointed out, we don't yet know what's going on with this case. But yep. when it comes to sort of cultures of employment, 
so cultures of bullying or discrimination or whatever it may be, that is not an, a, a big enough thing, in your view? No, it is not. Um, it, it should be... Um, if, if the press are being restricted, there, there should be another mechanism for them to report it. To use parliamentary privilege, which is a privilege, an enormous privilege, um, for something like this, I think is mm. it, it, it's totally out of, um, out of proportion. Okay. Thank you so much for your call. 03700 100 444 is the number to call. Just one final one on this. Iden says, I see the legitimacy of a non-disclosure agreement to stop a disgruntled employee taking trade secrets to another firm, but not for uh, for one to be used by a footballer or an MP to club, cover up an affair or shady businessman to hide any kind of harassment. Um, let's talk about the tone of political debate, shall we? Uh, because, yes, well, in America, you would have seen pictures of um, that white van being towed away, uh, multiple reports of many people on the Democratic side getting pipe bombs this week. Here, we've had talks of nooses and knives. Um, what is happening to our political discourse? Is it all getting too violent? Have we forgotten, and it wasn't so long ago, the name of Joe Cox and what these things can actually lead to. Um, where do we draw the line? Who's worse at it? Let's talk about this for a moment. Michael Woodhouse is calling us from Norwich. Hello. Hello to you. Hi. What did you want to say, Michael? Well, there's an interesting question early on about the way people talk, their attitudes, and the way they deal with others. Um, the two ladies were very good. The two guys, well, I'd rather not say too much about them. We mo- you then moved on in the programme they quickly forgot, these two guys, that you had to speak, you had to listen, you had to take part in what was going on. You just don't hassle and bully and carry on. They just turned into two bullies and started shouting at each other. It's irrelevant, it's useless, it doesn't make the point. You have two eyes, you have two ears, you watch, you listen, you have one mouth. That's all you need. OK, Michael. You listen. Okay, thank you very much for your call. Uh, Some thoughts on this on Twitter. Noah says, political discourse in the West is a travesty. Vehement disagreement is, of course, the bedrock of a free society, but the vile language used, seeing opponents as enemies, is shameful. In terms of religious criticism, everyone should be able to criticise all religions and none. I should be able to criticise Christianity, Judaism, Islam, just as they should be able to criticise my atheism. Uh, Let's go to Brenda Shanks. Hello. Hello. Hi, Brenda. I'm what did... from Porfer in Scotland. Oh, well, lovely to have you. <laughs> the issue around the tone of public debate, you've identified the current framework with what's happening with Trump and the outcomes with uh, any number of pipe bombs. In the UK, we've had tone of parliament deteriorating steadily, in my view, over the last 40 years. And I was interested to see, as one of your previous callers remarked, the difference in the tone of the debate from the panel. Mm -hmm. He divided them, I would have said, three and two, and it worried me. I think I probably all agreed that outrage lead to violent language which can in some cases incite people to violent behaviour, and this is totally undesirable. None of it is good for the outcomes that we require. Mm. Whatever your agenda, whether you be in UKIP, whether you be a Conservative, or whether you be in a union. 
Okay, Brenda, your phone line is cracking up, but thank you very much. I think we take your point. Uh, Gareth says, ideas and ideology do not have human rights. They should be open and free to criticism, scrutiny and inquiry. Uh, Another one here, nobody has to read social media. If I don't like something, I turn it off. That's what the off button is for. John Dalton says, as a country, we are regressing into political and cultural infantilism. Uh, The dire state of political discourse reflects this. And another one here. Bullying is inherent in the House of Commons culture, yet you only have to listen uh, to the thug-like jeering and mocking at uh, PMQs to these supposed adults to see that this has become acceptable. Peter Cook, calling us from Gillingham in Kent. Hello. Good afternoon there. Hi. What did you want to say? I think language does matter, especially when it comes from people of influence and power because it does affect the culture and behaviour of the ordinary people. I myself was beaten up by seven people angry about Brexit after the People's March because I had a T-shirt on that said Stop Brexit for your kids on it. Mm. That is really not the most offensive T-shirt I've ever worn. Um, So my point is that hateful language, even if it's inferred, it legitimises, encourages these toxic behaviours. And powerful people across the planet, like Nigel Farage, Boris... Aaron Banks and Trump, to name a few. They're skilled practitioners of this art form and they're brilliant at it. Mm. And it does demand that they adopt a responsible approach, I think. Is it, is it, I mean, is it the, the people that you've named are of, of one political leaning? Uh, Jared Batten, oh. who is of UKIP, said, actually, you know what, the left is worse than we are. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I'm not, uh, I, I, I could have gone et al, because mm-hmm. it, it applies. All people are capable of this, and the left have their own methods as well. Um, and the left and right thing is mm. also an unfortunate dichotomy that we, that we have to live with. Uh, but that's another subject for another day. No, well, thank you very much indeed. You know, I used to have a former colleague who used to say when things got heated in editorial meetings, just wind your necks in, everybody. Um, maybe that's good advice for uh, the political discourse as well. Let's, uh, I mean, last caller talking about how heated things got in the Brexit arena. Let's talk about that now. Um, The question was raised, should we have... I mean, it's a question that we do every week now, isn't it? Um, Second vote, should we have a say on the settlement that uh, our Prime Minister arrives at? Um, Peter Burke is calling us from Cornwall. Hello. Hello, hi, Anita. Hi, what did you want to say? Well, I wanted to comment on the original question, in fact, which uses the words, honouring the result of the referendum. Mm -hmm. I've heard this phrase used before, and it wasn't questioned by any of your, any of your panellists. I would query very much whether that's an appropriate term nowadays. Uh, first of all, because I think it's important to honour the uh, interests of the 48 million people who didn't vote for Brexit. Uh, but more to the point, it's now two and a half years, as some panellists pointed out, since the referendum. The world has changed dramatically in the meantime. We now have a, an isolationist government in America. Uh, we have a very different uh, world picture, um, and above all, we have the evidence to which some panellists referred of the serious damage done by Brexit already. It's no longer project fear, it's reality. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, for example, the impact statements made by this very government, mm. which have been damning. Uh, we've seen the uh, so, so without the value uh, of the pound. Yeah, just, just as because we, we, we don't have um, so much time. Yeah. So, w- what you're saying is two and a half years is a long time in politics. Um, that that result is no longer valid, in your opinion? Well, absolutely not. And I think okay. of your panellists, the mm-hmm. only person who really spoke any sense about this was Anna Sibri. Both of the, uh, both the other speakers, excluding 
uh, Mr. Yeah. Batten, okay. uh, referred to the damage of Brexit, but they both seemed resigned okay. to okay. the reality. Okay. No, I, I, no, Peter, I'm going to take some other calls as well because they're just stacked up. And, and thank you very much for making a point. Jane Graham calling from King, Kingston upon Thames. Uh, Jane, what did you want to say? Well, I, it was about Anna Subri as well because she said that we were promised a deal um, when we left. And I, I just keep he- people hearing people saying things that just aren't true and they don't seem to be picked up on them. What, what, um, what, what, what is everybody missing? Tell, tell them. Well, at the last Prime Minister's questions, the, the, the last one before the referendum, um, David Cameron was asked about this. And, in fact, he was asked whether we'd have a second referendum on behalf of both the Lords and the Commons. And his answer was, that one, that there wouldn't be another referendum, but he also did say that um, what out would mean. And then he did say that it would take at least two years and then mean a process of delivering on it um, during those two years and then delivering a trade deal, which he said could take up to seven more years. Mm. So um, we weren't really told that we'd have the the trade deal straight away. Okay, Jane, thank you very much. Let's go to Richard Bunning, who's calling us from Tiverton in Devon. Hello. Yeah, hello there. Um, Two facts. First of all, Liam Fox has come back and said that his plan to cut and paste existing trade relationships from the EU into the WTO has failed. The second fact is that Donald Trump has declared war on the World Trade Organization to prevent it ruling that his trade war policy is illegal and is threatening to pull out of the WTO. In my view, there won't be a World Trade Organization worthy of the name functioning by next April. Okay. Therefore, any, any policy um, in Brexit that relies upon establishing new trade deals under the World Trade Organization should stop. Okay. It is totally irresponsible. Okay. It is completely incredible and it isn't going to happen. Richard, thank you. Let's get Michael Jagger in just under the line. Michael, what did you want to say? Yeah, thank you, Anita. But I was a reluctant Remainer. Now I think I'm a reluctant temporary Remainer. If it came to a choice between a bad deal and crashing out, I think crashing out would be a dreadful situation. I would think it might be possible to suspend uh, our uh, membership of uh, EU until a suitable okay. time when the well, uh, talking of Island oh Michael talking of crashing out we just did uh, over time so sorry uh, same time next week join us then I hope you enjoyed this edition of Any Answers don't forget if you want to hear any questions or you'd like to invite the programme to your venue then please go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for any questions I'm Anita Arnand thank you for listening